Okay, Nigel, you're a man of the world. You enjoy traveling. Some say. Right? Some say that I do. <laughs> so I've been told. Yeah. So when you travel, do you like to bring things back with you? Do. Like curses? Um, <laughs> when curses aren't available, I like to go uh, with like a little knickknack. Yeah, yeah. So instead of ancient evil, you can also bring yeah. back, you know, like a postcard or that sort of a thing. A something something. Yeah. I like to bring back something somethings and and yes, I I concur. That is what I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you know human nature, right? To want to bring back a a souvenir um, of the place that you go. I was talking to my boyfriend about souvenirs, and Your I was friend? asking him about you know any souvenirs that he has that are memorable. And he said that when he was younger, his brother went to Germany and brought him back a piece of the Berlin wall. And so he was like super stoked about it. But then his other brother told him that there are enough pieces of the quote unquote Berlin wall go around the earth probably like three times. (laughs) And so um, then it lost some of its kind of, luster for him way to be a party um thanks party robbie yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's an interesting anecdote because so much of what is important about souvenirs and what we're going to talk about in the episode today it's not so much the object itself but it's the story that's attached to that object whether that's the story of where we got it who were we with when we got that object what were the ha- things that happened right so even a chunk of concrete with some spray paint on it can kind of gain this more like illustrious place like in your house like in your collection of objects because of those stories that we bring back with the objects that we collect when we travel yeah i i'm very picky when it comes to souvenirs i do like bringing back stuff from uh, for other people though so mm-hmm. they can sort of live vicariously through my adventures <laughs> through your travel yeah. adventures <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> Here's a here's a fridge magnet from <laughs> distant lands. Enjoy. <laughs> you didn't go to distant lands with me, but here's something to remind you that I went to did something better than you did. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that's another benefit of bringing back souvenirs is like making your friends feel bad that they didn't get to go to that place, right? <laughs> and so that's what we're going to be talking about today is souvenirs, some of the history behind them, the different types of souvenirs like categories of souvenirs that we collect and what do these objects say about travel and our modern society yeah so that amongst so many other things folks we're going to be talking about today different souvenirs how we can relate modern souvenir collecting to say prehistoric florida and the unique some of the unique artifacts that have been recovered from uh, archaeological sites here in florida that weren't from florida we're of course going to be talking about our personal objects and actually um becky had an opportunity to collect a souvenir while we were at wikiwatchy made it she made it right there in person at wikiwatchy um so we'll go into that come along with us join us talking about souvenirs jump right in in (laughs) on our summer exploration of the spring of souvenir knowledge that is (laughs) wikiwatchy
Welcome to the Materialist Podcast, episode six. The sixth episode. I had to to make sure that that was correct. Because, you know, even though you asked me how I can keep track of all these... It's tough because, like, we're recording one, but then we're thinking about other ones, and it's, like, difficult to keep track of. It is. It is. My name is Nigel Rudolph, Public Archaeology Coordinator with the Florida Public Archaeology Network in the Central Region, out of beautiful Crystal River. And I'm Becky O'Sullivan. I'm the Public Archaeology Coordinator at the West Central Regional Center of the Florida Public Archaeology Network in Tampa, Florida. TPA. Yeah, um, and we are again recording in Gainesville in our lovely um, recording studio that seems to get more and more filled with not work-related junk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, the stuff of materialists. Just yeah, multiplies. like the plastic puffer fish that's over in the corner there that we were talking about Souvenirs. before we started recording. Yeah, plastic puffer fish and loads of so many things. Yeah, bits and bobs. Bits and bobs that we can't seem to get rid of. But today we are um, in Gainesville, but we had initially attempted to do a live uh, episode recorded at a very famous roadside, Florida roadside attraction. Yes. Um, But due to some technical issues, uh, we're still learning this technology that goes involved with these podcast things. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what works best when, and, um, I didn't contend for the amount of wind that we had. (laughs) (laughs) We got a significant portion of the episode recorded at WikiWatchy. Right. And, um, so we are back in the studio (laughs) re-recording it. (laughs) To record some of the parts. (laughs) So that being said, um, picture yourself in a beautiful summer day, uh, at one of the most famous, Florida roadside attractions um, established established (laughs) (laughs) that word (laughs) established in 1947 Wiki Wachee in Hernando County yeah Um, so we were there live and in person recording um, and we will be sharing a couple of clips from that on this episode but picture yourself there Beautiful mermaids, springs. Natural spring. Yep, natural splendor. Natural Mm -hmm. splendor. Uh Uh-huh. And um, all of Hernando's finest all out to enjoy the day. So that's that's where we were. Those of you that are listening, because actually I have seen some people have been listening across the globe. Yeah. Across the globe. We're worldwide. Worldwide. (laughs) WWW. We're, uh, for those of you that aren't at all familiar with Wikiwachi Springs State Park, we chose that one because it's a very famous, you know, Florida historic roadside attraction. Mm-hmm. Two, it was like smack dab in the middle of <laughs> both of our houses um, from between Bradenton and Gainesville. Very convenient. Very convenient location right on a main thoroughfare here in Florida. Yeah, US 19. But also there's people, it's a, vi- what is it? What is the saying? It's a city of mermaids. Yeah, city of mermaids. The city of mermaids. Mermopolis. <laughs> <laughs> I was just that's talking funny. to someone about an octopus city that's called Octopolis. So if Octopolis. it's a mermaid city then it has to be mermopolis maybe i don't know yeah i mean that makes sense to me (laughs) makes total sense to me (laughs) 
It's the summertime. It is. <laughs> it's hot. It is. We're here in Florida, you know, lifelong Florida residents. So what better than um, to, like, go on a little mini vacay here with the materialists? So the history of Wikiwachi is very interesting. The first show was October 13th, 1947. Um, Wikiwachi's mermaids were the fever dream of Newt Perry, a trainer of Navy frogmen during World War II. Newt knew that humans could, could, could survive underwater by breathing air-pumped through hoses by a compressor. And so he envisioned this idea of people coming to see these underwater performances. Now, when they when he first got the land that Wikiwachi's on, the actual springs, he had to contend with the fact that the springs themselves were filled with old appliances. Oh, my God. Yeah, and old cars and everything. So he had to clear all that material out, clean up the, clean up the actual spring itself. And then um, he was able to build the amphitheater that it was. That it's actually like a tank. The, the mermaids are in the the spring itself, and then people are actually underwater in this tank observing. It wasn't originally designed for children's enjoyment. There's these old photos, and I'll try to find one and post it on the Instagram for y'all to see. But there's these old images of people, the crowd, one of the initial crowds of people watching the mermaid show. Um, one, the mermaids didn't have tails back then. They were tailless. Wait, so how are they mermaids? If they they weren't mermaids tails? yet. <laughs> okay. They so weren't mermaids women yet. women swimming yeah. underwater They were women's. <laughs> they were, were scantily clad women swimming underwater in bathing suits. So it was not designed initially for men to watch these women swimming underwater. And um, slowly it became this, this mermaid exhibition. And it was, at, it was at its heyday in the, the late 1950s and the 1960s. And then uh, visitation dropped off dramatically into the 1980s and 1990s. And then it almost went out of business. Yeah. It almost went out of business. And then it was scooped up by the state park in 2008. Uh, the state of Florida purchased it, saved it from going under. Yeah. So the state of Florida is the only state that has state employees who are mermaids. So people <laughs> right. who are state employees in the state of Florida who get paid to be mermaids. Yeah. So taxpayers Thanks, Florida. of Florida, yeah. <laughs> kudos to you, taxpayers of Florida, for supporting this really unique mermaid you know, culture. Mermaid, yeah, supporting <laughs> mermaid culture. Um, just really quick on something that I think I wanted to add to the discussion is uh, the obvious importance of tourism in Florida, right? It is the number one industry in Florida. Agriculture is second, um, but tourism is first. We have beautiful beaches, you know, three sides of Florida surrounded by... Disney, all these major things. A record of 116.5 million tourists visited Florida in 2017, spending well over $40 billion. That's like a lot of souvenirs they're bringing back with them. So just think about like all those Florida souvenirs that are now scattered across the world from people going on like vacay to Disney World or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like there's people... Probably in every, you know, those that are, have the ability to come to Florida brought something back with them in all countries of the, the globe. Yeah. And so, you know, there's people with tchotchkes from Wikiwachi on their uh, nightstands that they're looking at every day. Yeah, on every um, continent yeah. of the earth. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So I read this book recently, which I would highly recommend. Um, it's called Souvenir, and it's by this guy, um, Rolf Potts. He's written a lot of other books about travel, um, and he's done a lot of travel in his life. 
And he wrote this book as part of this book series that's called Object Lessons, which is about different sorts of material culture and places and like the kind of history behind that. And so he wrote this one on souvenirs. And it was really interesting because he um, kind of dives into the, the history behind them, kind of, you know, why do we buy things and oh my god there's a hummingbird over there i'm sorry <laughs> um so he he kind That's of so i'm sorry um he he dives into the the history of souvenirs what are the kind of like the history and background where do these come from why do we bring back objects when we travel to places and he also talks about the different sorts of souvenirs that we collect when we go to places right there's um there's what like five different types yeah, so of there's souvenirs. like five different basic types of souvenirs um so the first one is like the piece of the rock um souvenir so that's like a physical fragment of something that you take from a place that you visit. So, like, if you go to Plymouth Rock and you chip off a piece of the rock, literally a piece of the rock, and bring it home with you, um, that's that first kind of souvenir. And definitely don't do that. That's yeah, like, do not do, don't that. do that. So the second kind of souvenir um, is, like, local products. So that's things that are actually made in the place that you go to. So, like, if you go to, like, I went to... South Africa a few years ago, and people bought ostrich eggs that had been carved from ostrich farms that are there in South Africa. Cool. Right? That's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. And, like, ostrich leather purses and, like, that kind of thing. Like, we like to get coffee when we go to, like, yeah. a city, a cool city yeah, yeah. that has, you know, um, coffee, locally roasted coffee. Yeah, so, like, you know, actual things that are made from that place. Um, and so those are actually the two oldest types of souvenirs, okay. right? Those are like the OG like <laughs> souvenirs um, that date back the to you know the oldest. But then as we get into you know more industrialized production, mass market, you know uh, kind of consumer culture, especially now, we have these other three sorts of souvenirs come in. So one is um, pictorial images, so mm. like postcards, right? Um, or even you could say like taking selfies on a you know during your vacation and posting it to instagram yeah that's like a post uh, that's the new the new postcard right exactly you know the next one um markers so think of your like i love new york t-shirt or coffee mug or, yeah. or something something that's branded um to represent like that location that you're going like to. like the hat i'm currently wearing from pinson mound state park yeah that's pretty in cool Pinson, tennessee yeah and then the final one is souvenirs that are uh, represent symbolic shorthand. So think about, like, if you go to Paris and you buy something in the shape of the Eiffel Tower. Mm. Whether or not you even went to the Eiffel Tower, you know, uh, that represents Paris and France. Even if you went to another part of France, you would probably buy some kind of, like, right. souvenir of the Eiffel Tower, even right. if you never went to Paris while right. you were there. Um, so I think it's really interesting to kind of break down these objects in that way to really think like critically about them and like why we buy them and what they kind of represent. And I think those those last three types of objects really talk about uh, globalism, right? Because those objects probably aren't even made. Many of no, the ones that not. are for sale not. in this gift shop directly across from us right now are probably not even made in the United States. And 
but they're also probably available. Like anybody can go on any any website and purchase these things and buy them and have them shipped to them in Sweden, right? Right. <laughs> so it's you you no longer even have to go to the location in which the object that you're purchasing represents, which yeah. is really kind of new to um, as far as the history of uh, souvenirs and I guess tourism in general. Right. And, you know, in one way, you know, so if you think about it, like some people, they buy souvenirs because they want to present to other people that they visited that place. Like, right. I am a worldly individual who travels to places like Wikiwachi <laughs> and like, I will display this in my house so that I can like tell you of my knowledge of this place. Right. And in that sense, like anyone could just buy those souvenirs yeah. online and have it in their house and have that cachet of visiting that place even right. if they didn't. Right. But the other thing that souvenirs do, which I think is really cool, is if you're going back to that French word, souvenir, is to remember. And what souvenirs do for us individually is they help us constantly retell the story to ourselves of our travel and our connection to that place, which is cool. Let's move into talking about our objects. And you know what I think we should do is go over to the mold orama. That's my object. I know. So yeah. let's go talk about your experience making one. Yeah. You want to do that? Let's capture that special moment let's when I it. form a memory here at Wikiwachi. Wikiwachi. <laughs> All right. Hold on, materialists, friends. We're going over there. Boom. Ah! Oh, my God. It's done. Oh, my God. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, it's still hot a little bit. Oh, look at it. Wow. It's like a woman riding a seahorse. Excellent. Are you happy about your souvenir? Yeah, I feel it's like, yeah, lifelong memory made right here for three dollars <laughs> can't beat that yeah. so my object is a, a molded plastic figure of a woman on a um seahorse and it says wiki watchy it's awesome on the bottom of it it's pretty cool and we'll have pictures up on the instagram as always um follow us there but this object, this souvenir, it kind of uh, reminded me of some things from my childhood because it's not just any molded plastic figure of a woman on a horse, a seahorse. It's moldomatic or moldorama figure. And so. Yeah. So describe the moldorama. So um, it's this like crazy retro looking machine. And you put your three dollars in. It's about the size of a jukebox. It does look very much like a jukebox. Um, and so. Each one has its own special aluminum mold. So you put your $3 in, the mold like moves dramatically <laughs> together, and then plastic is injected into the mold, and then it you know, hardens in there. The mold comes apart. You see your amazing 
little plastic sculpture and then there's like a little metal thing that like pushes it off into a bin and that you can then like collect so um, it's pretty cool Right and there. it still smells like molten plastic, yeah. like when you first get it. It's really cool. Yeah. Very much harkens to like 1960s nostalgia. Yeah. And so I did some, you know, a little research into the sleuthing, sleuthing into the origins of the Moldorama. So um, it's either Moldorama or Moldomatic. I think it depends on like where you're in the country. It's like Arby's and. Hardee's or whatever like it's the same thing but like or Carl's Jr. Or like yeah. you know depending on what side of the country you're on so these Moldomatic it was invented by this guy J.H. Miller um, and it kind of made its debut at the 1962 World's Fair so it is of this kind of like you know mid-century mm-hmm. post-war time where you know plastics were being used for all of these newfangled things and so even in the world of souvenirs, kind of like plastics were um, coming on the scene. And the cool thing about the Moldomatic machine is that you're making like plastic figure that's unique to that place that you're mm-hmm. going. It's not unique because, you know, a million other people could have got one that same day. But you're actually seeing your souvenir be like made in front of you, mm-hmm. like at that place. And it has the name of like the place that you got it from. So there are still like two companies that run these machines like in different parts of the country and there's probably like a handful of places in florida that still have them so like um wiki i think like monkey jungle um bush gardens <laughs> uh jungle. miami uh metro zoo places like that yeah and um I remember as a kid going to like Monkey Jungle and getting one of these things. There's so, really a place called Monkey Jungle. Yes, there <laughs> is. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, that's some super old school Florida like tourism thing yeah. is is these machines. That and like the one that like squishes the penny right. kind of a thing. Right. They, did, they had that there as well. <laughs> right. But I don't know. I just think it's, you know, it's a cool object because it harkens back to this time when like plastics were like this kind of revolutionary material and so making the making these little figures was almost a spectacle in and of itself so you're like going to a you know tourist place to be like amazed and entertained and even your souvenir can be amazing and entertaining because you're like watching it be made well and you know at the time uh 1950s 1960s there was also the um so much of the the science fiction right atomic age things yeah. that were you know in in film and um in comic books <clears throat> this being a machine basically a robot that's producing this thing for you i'm sure that the kids went ape shit right back in the day like kids would not be impressed whatsoever by this right Right. now um, especially with like three everybody's got 3d printers in their house but that's the thing it's you know original 3d printer like happening right in front of you yeah it's really cool as a two-part mold and and you know really speaking to the moldorama and my hopes of what I would see in the gift shop, you know, I was really thinking that the gift shop at Wikiwachi would be far more of a um, nostalgic adventure too, mm-hmm. but it, but it wasn't. It was, it was all modern stuff. It was nothing really even kitschy, particularly. Yeah. You know, it's that's all been taken over by a a um, a private company out of Virginia, actually. <laughs> and so, 
you know, it was just very modern stuff. And we actually asked um, the cashier as I was checking out with my uh, my multiple bottles of water that I bought because I was wearing <laughs> freaking jeans. Um, <laughs> what is the most popular item that they sell there? And it's a, like a stuffed animal or a stuffed... Like um, a stuffed toy of stuffed a mermaid. Stuffed toy mermaid, yeah. which is kind of funny. Yeah. Like a stuffed mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> but like the these Moldomatic machines or Moldorama machines they're kind of a tourist destination in themselves like yeah. there are people that like like, like hardcore yeah like jeffrey like we talked to that hardcore like collect these things and they go to places not because they care about going to wiki Wachi or some, that tourist place but because they want to get an example of the you know the molded figure from one of those machines at that specific place right. jeffrey why did you come to beautiful wiki Wachi today well, it's famous since 1947. It's the only city of live mermaids. The city of dead mermaids isn't very exciting, I guess. <laughs> so luckily there's live ones. So you're holding a souvenir right now. Do you collect those or go to different places and like collect those make-a-mold things? Yeah, I collect too much of everything, really. But, um, but the make-a-molds are kind of great, and uh, they've been making a bit of a comeback. Um, so uh, if I find one, I definitely, uh, I definitely have to get one made. These are some of the best souvenirs you can get. These are from the 60s, and um, those machines, they're hard to come by anymore. So Yeah, so that's kind of the last holdout to the vintage um, souvenirs of the heyday. Well, everything's made in China now, so it's hard to get good souvenirs. I like postcards, too, so I hope they have some good postcards. So, yeah, you know, I'll take a look and see what they have. They've probably got other um, things that are traditional, like shot glasses or something like that. But I like to make them all... Well, we won't keep you, Jeffrey. Go enjoy the day. Thank the make them so old is right around yeah, the corner back yeah, down there. Yeah, literally, right around there. <laughs> so I don't know what kind of, what, um, going back to our five types of souvenirs, what category do you think that the moldomatic figures kind of fall into? Well, it's it's multiple ones, right? Yeah. It's, um, well, yeah, because it's kind of like type, like the second one, local products. Yeah. Because it's not like it's like, artisanal roasted coffee from like hernando county but it is an object (laughs) that's like made there at that place that you went to right so you could argue that it falls into that one i would absolutely does absolutely does um and it and it's essentially a a marker as well so it falls into that one because it says wikiwachi springs right on it that's like you know emblazoned molded into the plastic right and then some of them are like in the shape of like the place or like something from that place that you actually got it from so it could even be like the fall under the symbolic shorthand one yeah yeah definitely i mean i didn't see any giant seahorses but <laughs> you know maybe at a you know different <laughs> location yeah, I don't maybe know. that just doesn't they don't come out in during the summer yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah definitely falls under multiple different types of of souvenirs and mm-hmm. that's really unique i don't you know i mean you, you can get a hat and i guess that falls under a couple of the different types of souvenirs but um yeah but you don't see that hat get made in front right. of you that's right for three dollars three clams so my object that i'm bringing to the show today is once again nigel the king of cop-outs i didn't actually get to get to bring it because i'm super picky about souvenirs <laughs> nigel are you sure that you're a materialist because <laughs> it seems like you don't like having any material culture i, know, I don't I know, know. I'm, I'm super picky about the souvenirs that I bring back. And I probably would have gotten a, a Moldorama had the other machine been operating because it was different. Yeah. 
we can't have the same. We have to have yeah, different. Right, right. And so, but the, and and the reason I am picky is because I don't want any little tchotchke. Not saying the Moldorama thing was any little tchotchke, but I don't want any little tchotchke shot glass or something silly from a place that I have gone. I I want something that's more personal. And so I tend to lean towards um, the piece of the rock kind of souvenirs, right? I tend to the most ancient of all souvenirs. Yes. I tend to lean towards something that's for me to understand and for other people to like wonder why the hell I have this rock on my mantle, you know. It's like, oh well that's a you know, that was taken illegally from a South American archaeological site. (laughs) Good job, Nigel. So uh, that's the kind of uh, souvenir that I tend to uh, to um, to purchase. And I was actually hoping to purchase a patch. I collect patches mm. um, and I display them on my courier bag. But they they there was nothing. They didn't really have any patches that were like really speaking to me. If there was one that would have been, had like a mermaid on it, yeah, I would have gone for it. Like but, a kitschy mermaid. Yeah, like a kitschy mermaid. And that was I was really disappointed. I don't I don't I guess I don't know what I expected to to like walk into the gift shop and be in like nineteen fifties roadside Florida. I know, but, but like I feel not you know, it's I have to remind myself not everybody likes like yeah. old kitschy like nineteen fifties and sixties stuff, but I also really like that. Yeah aesthetic but i guess yeah. the kids these days don't <laughs> yeah, i don't yeah. know the moms like, of the kids these days right, yeah. that's for sure but so um Wait, so what do you do with if you collect a piece of the rock quote unquote you know what do you do with them when you come back yeah so i um i have a jar of them mm-hmm. a little like what do they call like a, just a little like jar, a mason jar like a mason jar that i have little bits and bobbles that i've collected um where the different ones came from you know that's funny or so i was actually um when i first met my wife i was uh we were sitting down and i opened it up and i was like would you like to see some of those some things that i have very very (laughs) sweet and um we were going through all the little rocks and and little pieces of of who's what's it's and things and most of them I did remember, and most of them I was able to kind of tell a little bit of a story. But, you know, I some of them I definitely didn't. Yeah. You know, I definitely did not remember. And maybe that's okay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, just as like a collection, yeah. I mean, those objects represent something, even if you can't remember specifically right. where everyone came from. But I am starting to collect hats from... Uh, particularly archaeological sites that I think are cool. Like yeah. that, both the hats and the sites need to be cool. I'm very particular. <laughs> <laughs> very particular about my souvenirs because yeah. I have too much shit. And so I'm trying to like, if I want to get something, it's got to be like really Pretty special. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I also like collecting um, like literal rocks when I go <laughs> visit different places. I went to visit my sister and... South Africa and we were in this um, South African National Park and there was like a really cool pebble like little rock on the ground and I really wanted to take it and I literally <laughs> had it in my hand and was putting it in my pocket and my sister saw me and she yelled at me she's like Becky you, you're an archaeologist you shouldn't take that I was like it's just a rock don't worry about it and then I felt really bad and I left it so but cool. it was like such a beautiful rock and I still think about it so well, that's funny. that sucks <laughs> It's gone now. You yeah. can go back when you go it's back. Still there. It's still it's there. It's okay. But it's like, you know, I mean, we all do it. Um, yeah. But it was interesting reading the book, Souvenir, um, 
by Rolf Potts because he talks a lot about that. And it's um, as kind of like the history of souvenirs and that, you know, that is the kind of original souvenir that people would bring back is literal pieces of the places that they went to, which as tourism kind of increased and like increased for people in the middle class and like more of the population became like a huge problem because like, for example, he talks about Plymouth Rock Hmm. that like, literally there would be like little picks at Plymouth rock that people would go and like chip off a piece of it. And so many people were coming and doing that, that like the rock was getting like smaller and smaller each year. And they eventually had to put a fence around it and stop people from doing that. What was the story about Mount Vernon? Right. So that, so Mount Vernon, the home of George Washington, um, was a very popular tourist destination even in like the early to mid 1800s. Mm-hmm. So people would go there, you know, see the home of our illustrious, you know, founding father and um, they would literally carve off pieces of the house to like take <laughs> home with them, like of the furniture of the house. And it was so bad that when the Mount Vernon um, ladies association or whatever, that was in charge of preserving Mount Vernon. they took over in like 1853, they decided that one of the things they needed to do was open a shop there mm. so that they could sell like local handicrafts that were made out of wood from like the surrounding forests in the area because <laughs> that way they could sell those things and people would stop literally breaking off pieces of the house to take home with them so right. literally like souvenir shops were started so that people would stop looting things from historic sites right and and two of our other founding fathers thomas jefferson and benjamin franklin were i guess you know he talks about ralph potts in the book talk tells a story about how they went to shakespeare's home in england yeah. when they were in europe and they were literally whittling pieces off of yeah when the tour guide left tray, like literally like chair. ben franklin was like cutting a piece <laughs> like whittling a piece off of the chair that yeah. was like supposedly shakespeare sat in right which you know there's absolutely no way <laughs> to know if shakespeare <laughs> so had it's, anything yeah to do totally with unsustainable chair. and that's like why we tell people don't take things from archaeological sites because right. there's like only so many but i kind of wonder and it really made me think like wow maybe if we had more gift shops and souvenir shops at archaeological sites people would loot less stuff from them yeah so if there's like a site out in the woods that's getting looted just like put a little like gift shop kiosk (laughs) like right next to it so people can buy like commemorative spoon and then they won't steal artifacts from the site fridge magnet (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's something that that needs to be thought of a little bit more deeply is we we underfund our state parks and we underfund our visitable archaeological sites and so when you have places that need money you know sometimes they have to do things like open a little gift shop and they have to maintain you have to maintain these places so right. people can come visit that and that that does that's fantastic for developing some kind of revenue for the local community for developing some kind of revenue so people can mow the lawn or keep paint on the walls or keep the place protected but that also i think kitchifies um perhaps um something that doesn't deserve that but you know it's it's a really thin line right well yeah have you ever been to um a place that is kind of um representative of like a painful history or kind of traumatic event that had a gift shop i haven't but yeah i mean 
Yeah, because that's like another thing that he talks about um, in the book is, you know, think about like the 9-11 memorial and like Ground Zero in New York City. Apparently when the museum there first opened, people were kind of up in arms because there is this like gift shop that was part of the museum. Um, But, you know, the museum needed the gift shop to make revenue to like keep up the museum and the and the memorial there. But, um, you know, they were selling things like cheese platters in the shape of the United States with ground zero marked on it <laughs> on the cheese platter and like <laughs> things like that. So, yeah, um, yeah. so um, it's kind of, yes, um, a fine line in what people are, you know, willing to um, see at some of these places, even places like concentration camps. Yeah, like Auschwitz, like, right? Yeah, yeah, like Auschwitz and um, Birkenau, you know have well, what they call now they have bookstores so mm-hmm. you can buy some postcards or like memorial pictures and also books about the holocaust and like um, accounts from holocaust survivors and that sort of a thing but what you know in the book he talks about back in the 70s at auschwitz like they had this you know a gift shop that was much more of like a tourist gift shop you think of today with kind of tchotchkes and that sort of a thing and people were really upset about that because yeah. it's kind of lessening the seriousness of, mm-hmm. of that place mm-hmm. yeah kitchifying yeah <laughs> but then you know when they got rid of that and there were less things for people to buy they saw an uptick in looting and vandalism so more people were writing things like on the bunks in the in the actual in camps. the camp they were more people were stealing like nails from the railroad that goes into the camp and pieces of the railroad ties and that sort of a thing. So when people don't have that like outlet to collect that souvenir, they're going to go back to those kind of more primitive forms of souvenirs of actually like taking something from that place. Yeah. It's a thin line. It's a really a thin line between preservation and, um, you know, recognition and remembering these 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 times that you've gone out to these actual places. And yeah, it's a complicated thing. Yeah. And like when I went to um, Cape Town to visit my sister, we went to Robben Island, you know, where mm-hmm. um, Nelson Mandela was held for like 27 years for doing nothing for doing nothing and it was a really powerful experience seeing the cell where he was held and like hearing the stories all the tour guides are people who were actually um, imprisoned there and just hearing you know their stories it was really crazy but you know when you're going back to the boat to like go back to the mainland there's totally a gift shop you know on robin island which is necessary for them to get money for the upkeep of the place but also you know there's nelson mandela's like books and things like that that you can buy but then there's also like mugs that say like (laughs) robin island and like fridge (laughs) magnets and that sort of a thing damn you fridge magnets so One thing that I think is important to connect to is that human beings have been bringing objects back from far off places for a long, long, long time. My office is at the Crystal River Preserve State Park, which is just adjacent to the Crystal River Archaeological State Park. This isn't, uh, Crystal River isn't unique in this, but a lot of the artifacts artifacts that were recovered from excavations that were done in the early 20th century recovered a lot of artifacts that weren't from Florida and mm-hmm. copper uh, breastplates, copper ear spools, things like that. And other, other minerals like galena um, and rocks like mica and things like that, that aren't from Florida. 
perhaps these exchanges of objects that were coming um, from other places were exchanged with marine shells that were going up to sites up in the Ohio River Valley and things. So I, I think it might be a stretch to call those souvenirs, but it's certainly the person that either brought them back with them or were trading these objects were doing so because they were unique to a particular location outside of where they lived right yeah and if you think of souvenirs as like an object that represents travel in another culture in another place yeah. then i think in a way they kind of are souvenirs right, right. and that someone at a you know a mound site in oklahoma every time they used a whelk shell that had been obtained from the Gulf Coast, that object was representing that travel and those other people that lived in a totally kind of other um, area. Right. Um, so there's this journalist by the name of Stephanie Rosenblum who wrote this uh, article in the New York Times some years ago called Souvenirs 101. And she writes, Yet even as travelers began collecting historical and scientific mementos, not just religious items, the things they brought home had echoes of sacred objects. The people that brought these objects back were making these things sacred, right? And so right. I think we're doing the same thing. Right, and, yeah. And in the West, like the history of the souvenirs is of, you know, people who are on pilgrimages to like right. holy sites and bringing back like holy relics related to saints and, you know, people important um, in the Bible. Piece of the true cross. Right, yeah. How many pieces of the true cross are there? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, souvenirs, like they have this connection to the sacred um, and so when we kind of replicate that, even in our modern way, um, just like with native people, you know, yeah. like you were talking about, um, we're replicating this kind of ritual of, um, bringing back objects, um, that have like a sacred connection Yeah, and bringing that back into our normal everyday lives. So what you're saying is people have been doing this for a long time. People are people, you know, people are people. People are people, so why should it be? <laughs> Sorry, Depeche Mode. That's good. The pipeline. Wrapping up episode six for the books. Yeah. Um, so we are going to take a month summer break. Um, so we're not going to be publishing next month, but the following month. So two months from this publishing date, episode seven will be coming out um don't be too sad we'll be back we'll be back we will be back you know everybody needs a break it's summertime yeah we're gonna go enjoy our summer festivities um maybe hit a couple more florida tourist mm. roadside tourist traps this summer yeah. um do some research on some upcoming episodes and have everything much more prepared for coming at you with essentially i guess a season two of the materialist yeah. podcast <laughs> so we got a comment on our instagram um miss becky would you like to read that yeah, uh, Jenny um, left us a really awesome comment on Instagram. She said, we've been loving the podcast on our recent road trip. So thank you so much, Jenny. I hope you got lots of really cool souvenirs and some pieces of the rock while you're out there road <laughs> tripping this summer. <laughs> and Jenny is a friend and she 
I believe she went to Jenny Springs while they were down Ooh. this way. So um, thank you, Jenny. And if you would like to comment on anything, we would really, really appreciate it. And being that we're going into summertime, you know, tell us about your favorite summer souvenir that you brought back from a trip. And tell us what you've been doing this summer and how it relates to material culture. Mm-hmm. And if you have any ideas about what you'd want us to talk about in the future, like shoot us a message. Let us know on Instagram or on Facebook or any of the other social medias that we have platforms on just you know shoot us a message and uh, we will do all the research just give us the idea Um, it would be really cool to kind of create this dialogue between ourselves and our listeners yeah what are the objects that you um, wonder about that surround you in your everyday life yeah yeah exactly and for those of you that are new to the materialist podcast thank you for listening please like us and share Um, you can find us on itunes google play Um, we're hosted and we're on podbean you can find us on spotify we're on the instagram as we were saying and the facebook big fat thank you to the fpan west central region and to fpan in general um, for more information on FPAN, you can go to fpan.us. I'd like to give a big thank you to John Athanason from the Wikiwachi Springs State Park. He's the PR guy. Thank you, John, for letting us come there and record. Uh, who else? Jeffrey. I'd like to give a, a thank you to <laughs> Jeffrey. That's all we got about Jeffrey. His name is Jeffrey. Um, he was seemed like a really interesting, really cool guy. Thanks, Jeffrey, for your brief interview. Thank you to Have Gun Will Travel for letting us use their song Silver in the Age of Opulence for our intro music. Uh, they have a new album coming out, so if you want more information on yeah, Have Gun. Yeah, that's dropping this yeah, summer, right? I know. Yeah. I already pre-ordered Excellent. it. Boom. Oh, I need to do that. Um, yeah, there, there's uh, limited limited pressings of their vinyl, so definitely, uh. definitely get on it. Um, you can, If you want more information on Have Gun Will Travel, go to hgwtmusic.com. Uh, again, thank you to our listeners. I guess that's that's about it. That's it. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. We'll catch you on the flippity-flip. Okay. Legend tells us these undersea people were known as mermaids. They swim gracefully and with little effort in their beautiful sea kingdom. They live a happy and gentle life. It's a wonderful place to live and usually uneventful.
Christmas days have come and gone Broken toys and faded colors Are all that's left to linger on I hate graveyards and old pawn shops For they always bring me tears I can't forgive the way they rob me Of my childhood souvenirs Memories that can't be bought can't be one at carnivals for free Well it took me years To get those souvenirs And I don't know how They slipped away from me Thank you. 